0: From Fox 8 Sports, you're listening to Fox 8 Overtime. From Fox 8 Studios in New Orleans, welcome into Overtime, the podcast for all things sports, all things Louisiana, and everything in between. Alongside Sean Fazand. Hi. I am Chris Hagan. Today we are talking Saints, draft prospects, some of our first-round interests, and some of the combine results, especially from the local LSU favorites. And Darnell Mooney of Tulane. But first, a quick request and reminder. Please subscribe to the podcast. Also, rate and review it. Tell your friends. Help us spread the word. And if you want to get in touch with us, hit us up on the Final Play app. Do it. Tiger Huddle app. Mm-hmm. Twitter. Yep. Facebook. Leave a comment on Instagram. That helps. Do it for the well, we want to get to your questions. Now, let's get to it. Sean Fazand as I sniffle through this intro, I'm reminded... I forgot to take my allergy medicine today, so bear with me. But As long as
1: it's allergies and not the... Uh, we won't even say it. Not it's gonna allergies. i it.
0: not going to do it. Sean Fazand, you've returned mm-hmm. after a nice weekend away. I did. You've had some time to kind of plug into yeah. Um, the current state of the Saints. What is your consensus of what this offseason is going to start to look like
1: as we get closer to free agency hitting in about two weeks? Good question. The Saints are always going to be players in free agency. But what they've done over the last, really since Jaris Bird. So let's say 2015, 2016. You can't say 2015 because that's the year they signed Brandon Brown. But usually since that 2014-15 that just really bad two years, um, they've done a pretty good job of, a, identifying players that fit free agency-wise, and B, setting a realistic market for their services where you don't go over uh, to land these players. I can remember when they signed Larry Warford, I believe it was Kevin Zietler, was their initial target. He ended up getting something like $13, 14000000 a year, which, by the way, for a guard, is probably going to be middle class now, given uh, the rate of, uh, of, of contract uh, rising over the last couple of years. Uh, last year... Adam Humphreys was a the guy they wanted. Uh, he w- He got paid a lot from uh, Tennessee, so they walked away. Uh, remember Jimmy Graham a few years ago, mm-hmm. tight end they wanted. Got paid a little more in Green Bay. They said thanks, but no thanks. Um, so they're always going to be players in the market because Sean Payton cannot help himself. He he. If there's a chance to improve his team and they have the means to do so, they're going to do it. And when I say means, they'll they'll stretch things out. They'll move things around. They'll, you know, uh, transfer balances on the credit card if, if, if need be uh, to get a player that they want. Um, so to answer your question, they're going to be active. They're always active in free agency. That's why they never get compensatory picks. And, of course, they have the draft. In saying that, though, I don't expect a free agent bonanza. In other words, signing nine, ten guys, major free agents. Because I do think there's some of their own guys that they want to bring back. Who they should prioritize. Mm-hmm. And I think there's about a handful of guys from other teams that they should target that could be realistic needs and fit in well with this organization. So, when we're talking about realistic needs
0: and the ones that kind of stand out, I guess, including guys who they may bring back, we're talking about a safety with what you do with Von Bell um, at left guard, Andrews Pete. Um, there is the constant noise, chatter, probably correct speculation, too, that you know they're interested in another receiver, though that may be Justin Jefferson, which we'll get to. Um, what are the positions that, that stand out to you in terms of, um, I guess, the more immediate needs that maybe you don't go for in the draft because where the Saints are drafting, that guy may not be there, or just a spot where well, yeah. to stay a championship contender, you want a veteran. You've got to
1: have – you can't risk it with a rookie. Right. So if you were asking me, I would say – um, the two that jump off the page are interior lineman and a linebacker. Um, Andrus I think we can all agree is probably his days are done in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. I just don't think... Uh, I, I went about midway through his tenure here, I think the organization had kind of reached the point where they just felt like, look, he is who he is as a player. Um, we're going to move on when his contract's up. I would have tried to trade him last year, but it didn't happen, regardless. Um... You have Eric McCoy. You have Nick Easton. Larry Warford is a guy whose play does not match his contract. He's one of those sneaky ones that I could see perhaps being a cap casualty at some point. Although, if they do that, they would leave a very, um, very important position pretty vulnerable at the two guard spots with Nick Easton, who can fill in, but is he more of a reserve fill-in, or is he a true starter? I think he's done enough to at least get himself into a, a competition, but I wouldn't just hand him the job. So... One, if not two, interior linemen. And a linebacker because I don't think Kiko Alonzo is coming back, especially at his $9 million cap hit. Um, you only have DeMario Davis, who I think they should extend to create some cap space. Mm-hmm. Um, Alex Anzalone, who's got injury issues. A.J. Klein is the guy I'd bring back, but you know he's 29 years old. The chances of him coming back are certainly not – it's not a guarantee that he's back. You have Caden Ellis, the young kid out of Idaho, who they like a lot and and contributed on special teams. But I think right now to pencil him as a starter, I think would be a little foolish. So I think you sign a veteran as a linebacker, sign a veteran interior offensive lineman. It's funny. I've never been in the got to have a wide receiver camp. You got to have his. I do think they need a receiver. um, But I think this year and only this year would I say this the place to go get that player is not in free agency, it's in the draft. Because the draft is so deep, wide it really this is.
0: Year. And you look at that um, first round, and yeah, a guy like Justin Jefferson, I think, did himself a favor. Um, see what you want about 40 times, and and I'm I'm on the fence about about it sometimes at certain positions. I think with with receiver, it's telling. And and Justin Jefferson was a guy who um, wasn't always running routes straight down the field, so maybe we didn't get to see his verticals, you know, straight line speed a whole lot. But he certainly shows he has it. And I think he definitely did himself a favor for anybody who was thinking he might be early second round, somewhere in the second round. He probably pushed himself into the first round just because even with what we know now that 40 times aren't necessarily everything, at the same time, that's telling you something that he's in the you know low 4-4s.
1: Four and I think he did himself a favor because what you notice about Jefferson was his production first. Mm-hmm. And he looked like a true football player, not an athlete playing receiver. He looked like a true receiver that understood the details mm-hmm. of route running, really was a zone buster in terms of, you know, playing out of that slot, really. I mean, Joe Burrow looked to him over the middle all the time, and he really excelled from hash to hash from inside the numbers, but can certainly do well on the outside as well. But I think his future in the NFL is as a slot receiver. But running 4-4. Was it four four six or four four two? One or the other. It was like a four, was, 4 4 It right? was in the four fours. Yeah. Just literally, he doesn't have to do anything else it's, this pre-draft. I mean, if he wants to work out for a team, that's fine. But he does not need the time for anything else. Because now, his speed and athleticism, you can marry together with his tape. And here's another thing that I really liked about Justin Jefferson, is people forget about this. He was still productive before Joe Burrow was Joe Burrow. Before yep. Joe Brady came along. Yep, he was still productive in 2018 when Joe Burrow was figuring it out, and that matters when it when they weren't clicking as an offensive unit. When he was, you know, they weren't clicking on all cylinders, and they weren't, you know, this offensive juggernaut. He still managed to find a way to be successful. So, look, I I really like Justin Jefferson. I did an extensive film study on him about why he would fit with the Saints. So I'm on board the Destrohan product uh, with the Saints at 24. So in years past.
0: The issue there has been, you know, there's always that local guy that fans want to, uh, mm-hmm. to latch on to and link him to the Saints, and maybe it makes sense. Maybe, I guess on the exterior it makes sense, and, and maybe it's a reach. You know, does it fit with where they are? It feels like Jefferson is in that perfect strike zone of, it makes sense position-wise, need-wise, and pick-wise, where... Um, it's not a reach to take him at 24. Mm-hmm. If the Saints stay at 24, history says they may move up. Or, and if you don't take him at 24, he may not even be there at 30. You know, he, he could be off the board pretty quickly. I think what he
1: did, because I've looked at every mock draft I could from, from mock drafts, people that I trust in terms of scouting circles. And I think what he did was he was a 28 to 32 before the combine. Now I think he's firmly in the low 20s. So anywhere from, say, high teens, 18 to, like, 26, I think is realistic. Uh, and he can go anywhere. I saw Philadelphia. He's been mocked to Philadelphia quite a bit at 21. So um, he's in the first round. There is no way he's getting out of the first round now with that 4-4 speed.
0: Yeah, I think that's an excellent um, advance for him. Uh, another guy, Patrick Queen, runs a 4 5 L. We're go down this LSU rabbit hole real quick. And um, I think he's another guy that it feels like from January 14th the day before the national championship to like January 16th right he went from mid to late third round to first round and I think a national championship does that for you I think maybe he put himself maybe with the way that he played against a guy like um, Travis Etienne and really tracking him down and making some good plays in the backfield it kind of made it might have You know, had some people go back and look at more tape of Patrick Queen and see, wow, he's really been playing well all year. Um, And then you throw a good 40 time in there, and I I think he's going to test well everywhere else as well. Um, He's another guy that seems like a a really promising NFL linebacker, especially in the mold of, um, you know, previous linebackers uh, to come out of LSU the last few years that have done well in defenses that are, you know, gearing up to stop the spread in terms of guys running, You know, side to side, you look at a a Deion Jones, he's done really well, a Quan Alexander, and and Patrick Queen could very well be another effective player in that regard. Yeah.
1: um, That skill set has become more and more coveted. A guy who can simultaneously get sideline to sideline while also very good dropping into a zone. Um, Patrick Queen is a very modern NFL back. I mean, it's a a backer. He's just like Deion Jones, in my opinion, who was the best cover linebacker in the NFL. It's just so hard to find cover linebackers. It just, they don't exist um, in abundance. So he's got that skill set. So, you know, is it better to be the star of a, of a prolific team or perhaps the most underrated on the prolific team? Cause I think he's got the title of the most underrated mm-hmm. player on that LSU team. I mean, if you were to just name off the, the players from that team last year, he might not even crack the top 20 in terms of most recognizable or most, you know, biggest names. So, or, or, You know, biggest, you know, most popular. But his impact was certainly felt. You know, that interception he had against uh, Tua in the Alabama game, which really catapulted LSU, was such a good play. And when you're a linebacker and you can drop that deep into a zone and be that aware, that gives defensive coordinators so much more to work with with coverages, and you're able to cover so much more of the field. Again, modern. NFL linebacker and you made a good point about the spread a lot of teams like to go horizontal uh whether, whether it's tight wide receiver screens jet sweeps whatever a guy that can get sideline to sideline uh to me is invaluable today now he does have a little bit of trouble against the power scheme coming right at him because he's not the biggest guy in mm-hmm. the world but i do think he is cemently or you know he has cemented himself into the first round, another guy. If the Saints said, "You know what, this guy really fits what we need," because d- they need a pass cover linebacker, mm-hmm. um, I think he could certainly fit that role as well.
0: The the next guy that got a lot of attention throughout the year and certainly at the combine, Clyde Edwards-Helaire. Um, I think I heard the term "couldn't tackle him in a phone booth" a hundred times over the weekend. Now he runs a four-six-zero forty. He's never he was never really a top-end speed mm-hmm. guy. Um, but he tests excellent everywhere else. Thirty-nine and a half inch vert, which smashed Leonard Fournette and uh, Darius Geis' numbers. If you're going to compare him, but th- I think his foot quickness and his ability to um, do a lot of different things makes Clyde a really coveted guy. That in today's NFL, when you look at a, you look for backs, especially um, most backfields that are backfield by committee. Um, he's a perfect fit. I mean, he can he can do a lot of different things and, and hurt you in a lot of different ways. And, you know, a lot of people
1: like to make the comparison to Mark Ingram, and I think that's that's really a good one for yeah, him. Yeah, because I think he plays with power for a little guy. Little. He's not little, but for a shorter guy, more mm-hmm. compact guy, he plays with a lot of power. Um, you know, his African-Taliban, which is unbelievable. I mean, the the heart and will that he showed in that game. And he's – I mean, the amount of broken tackles on his tape is really something – and he's got maybe, I'm trying to think of anyone who compares at any level of football with that initial spin move. That is the most lethal spin move I have. I, I, I mean, I can't recall a player that's got one that is as, as effective he, as every his. Every time, man. Like nine out of ten field, times. In the backfield. That first man's going to miss nine out of ten times. Look, Clyde Edwards-Elair is not going to end up with the Saints. But he, he does a lot of things well, which Sean Payton loves in his backs. But I do think Clyde Owesila is a f- is a pretty strong second round selection in this draft. I think another guy that could be second round would
0: be Christian Fulton. Uh, we'll talk about him before we get back and finish with Saints a little bit. Um, he runs a four four six and and um, I think he's another guy that you know it felt like he didn't get quite the shine maybe we expected this yeah. year. I think a lot of that had to do with how good Derek Stingley was across from him. But mm-hmm. I think Christian Fulton played really well, um, and he he definitely had his moments in that Alabama game. And there were times where um, opposing quarterbacks targeted Stingley a little bit more than Fulton, and I think that's for a reason.
1: I like Fulton. And look, his college career has been a bit of an odyssey, right? Right. Came on, got suspended, didn't know when his eligibility was going to return, gets on right before his junior year. Decides to come back for a senior year, very smart move. Um, look, he's a he's a quality cornerback out of DBU that, that carries weight in NFL circles. He's going to work his way into the back of the first round or the early second round. Help himself with his timing for sure. Um, like his build, I think he's about six foot, maybe six foot and a half. Got good length. Um, you know, he's going to. LSU puts their corners on an island it's a lot of mm-hmm. man under and man free where basically you may have a safety over the top but you can't count on it you better you better guard your guy and sometimes you get beat that way sometimes you don't um, but they're always going to challenge you and he's not afraid of the challenge so um Christian Fultz another one you know if if somehow he does well this pro day and he, and he moves up a little bit I mean that could be a spot where LSU looks at, I mean where the Saints look at an LSU player
0: yeah I mean there there are questions there yeah um moving back to the Saints and cornerback, and um, they've got decisions to make with Eli Apple. Um, It's a position that for so long, with Marshawn Lattimore, the Saints were looking for that reliable second corner. Mm -hmm. And um, 2017, you know, Ken Crawley had his time and and came in and played well. And then 2018, that time was up, and so you get a guy like Eli Apple. um, He was very penalized that year. I think he had a, 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 a decent twenty nineteen campaign, but I mean there's always that guy that people hone in on and, and knock on felt a lot. Like
1: it just felt like about mid November. It just all he was having a good year and then all of a sudden the train just started moving out of town a little bit. It just, yeah. it just, it just all of a sudden he was a different player, right?
0: Yeah, it, it was I think some of it was health, like he had a couple mm. tweaks here or there. But yeah, it it wasn't quite the same focus. Um And I don't know what that was, and and I don't know how much the Saints factor that in. Um, A lot of times it's, what have you done for me lately? But but, um, he was certainly a guy that, you know, he's better than, I think he's better than more, most teams' second best corner. Um, Athletically, certainly, I think maybe mentally is the lack of focus that, you know, caught him toward the end of the year, but... If the, mental, if the mental focus is there, uh,
1: I, I would see the Saints bringing him back if they could I, get a good I price I remember on thinking he had the best training camp of maybe any <laughs> Saints defender. Mm-hmm. And he really played well in the preseason and into, like I said, the first half, first three quarters of the season. And it just, I don't know, something just all of a sudden, what, what game were, was it where they were targeting him? Gosh, what game was it? And it just felt like from that game on, he just was not the same confident player. The San Francisco game, it was clear he had a target on his yep. back. And, I mean, they went after him. And it's like all of a sudden he just he just kind of shrunk a little bit and he just was not the same player. And he's the guy that can really – look, he plays press man. That's what he does. Um, he just, he's not going to play much zone. He, you got to have him in a man situation. So, um, Eli Apple, if I were a bet man, I'd say will not be back. Janoris Jenkins will be back. And I'm probably 50-50 with P.J. Williams at the nickel spot. Huh. Okay. Um so if P.J.'s back and maybe. you get
0: Vaughn back, you still have that. How much does having C.J. Gardner-Johnson maybe
1: weigh on?
0: Maybe we could live without one of those
1: guys. Yeah, exactly. And if you would have asked me this time this time last year, I would have said, no-brainer, Von Bell, take a walk, P.J. and C.J. Gardner-Johnson is your strong safety. But I think what could happen, depending on the way free agency plays out, it could end up Vaughn Bell back. And C.J. G.J. as your nickel because he's a very physical, he can play press man, got very sticky coverage uh, skills, he can play nickel, a physical nickel, Mm -hmm. um, better than I thought. So you might be on to something there, depending on if Von Bell, and I don't think Von Bell, I think we appreciate him here. I don't know if he has the same reputation in NFL circles because I do, I check these lists every day, top NFL free agents at different positions, and the highest I've seen him, and this is a 25-year-old coming off a career year, the highest I've seen him ranked as far as strong safeties was eight as far as free agents. Who's ahead of him? I got to check that list. But it was, I mean, it, he was it was surprising that he wasn't in the top yeah. five in any of them. The guy is like, I, and I, I again, like. You know, sometimes the narrative kind of. Kind of blurs vision a little bit, even when yeah. the actual tape. I just do think there's
0: no narrative. Like I, right.
1: I, I think I don't think
0: there's a negative narrative. Like I, I don't know that any. If you if you didn't see what Von Bell did well, I don't think you saw what he didn't do well. Like in those first couple years, right. um, you know, he had some issues with zone coverage and communication in 16 and 17. But um, <laughs> the best part of having Kurt Coleman for a brief period of time was helping Von Bell improve his game, and, yeah. and he certainly did that. Um, and he was like Johnny on the spot. How many fumbles was he there Five to pick up? Five
1: fumble recoveries last year. That's not by accident. No, that's that's knowing where to be. And That changed the game against Seattle mm-hmm. back in week two. I mean, who knows? Changed a lot of games. And who knows if that doesn't happen in week two? How different the season looks because they needed that win mm-hmm. with the of the with Breeze being out more than any other one. It was week three, excuse me. Yeah, against Seattle. So, I I I would think if I were ranking the Saints free agents as far as getting them back, obviously Drew's won. He'll be back. We know that. But unrestricted, I might have Von Bell at the top, then maybe Anya Mata, then an AJ Klein, and then you kinda get into that Andrews Pete, Eli Apple, PJ Williams tier, which I don't know. I think those are the guys they'd be willing to lose. Okay. So from what
0: you just said, it and and I agree, um, it feels like there's more of a, a vibe that they need to keep this defense performing at a high level. Mm-hmm. And I, I would agree because that has that is what has pushed them. To where they are now. I mean, we've seen the Saints over the last fifteen years, right? We've right. seen
1: when the defense is bad, they're bad. When the offense is good, they can still know, be bad. We saw <laughs> twenty fourteen to twenty sixteen, right.
0: and then we saw them, especially uh, you know at times in twenty seventeen, get better, and then eighteen and nineteen, the defense really played well. And, and look, in twenty eighteen, the back half of that year, the defense was why they oh were yeah went as far That's as they did. Why they, they were did. there, right? It's insane. And so, um. I would agree that and and at some point the offense does need to be addressed because all that that has been a bit of a thing in the postseason. There's no denying right. that. But to get there I think you need a defense and then you need the playmakers and the play calling to be there in the offense and, and I, I don't want to say it's something you take for granted because the second you take it for granted right. then you struggle against the Vikings or you struggle against the Eagles and Rams to score points in twenty eighteen, but um I do think the defense is where this team has has stayed in games, had won (laughs) games, had swung games, and and it's a big reason why they won games with Teddy Bridgewater this year.
1: Well, no doubt. And, you know, this is the first time I can recall going into an offseason where if you look right down your list of what the Saints could, could get better at, look at their depth chart, you're probably down one, two, three, four, maybe even five spots before you get to a D lineman. Like, the D-line has been rebuilt. I mean, it, for years, that was what they needed, whether it was a three-technique tackle, uh, pass rusher opposite Cam Jordan, nose tackle, whatever the case may be. I can't remember a time where I wouldn't put it in my top three or four as far as priorities. Now, you can always add one because you might lose an Onyemata or whatever the case may be, but defensive tackle, they got like eight right now on the roster. You're always going to need a pass rusher off the edge. You're always an injury away, and who knows what the problem is, or who knows what the deal is with Davenport, with Davenport but still... You wouldn't rush and be like, oh, they have to get an edge pass yeah. rusher this year. I just don't think they need it um, as, as in abundance as they needed in years past. And that's big. I mean, look at the the better teams in the league. D-line. D-line. They D-line build through the D-line. Vikings, 49ers. You get your quarterback and build your D-line.
0: Yep. So, I think we have a pretty clear picture of what, this, what we think the Saints need to do. Yes. Um, where we think they could be headed. Mock Draft coming out later this week. Mock Draft will be Stay out. Tuned. And if you guys have your takes, we'd love to hear them. Again, hit us up. We are uh, here for the questions, here for your takes. And uh, free agency beginning is a good time to get them in because uh, it's going to be active. And it'll be interesting to see who makes a run at Saints players as well. For now, that's going to do it for us on Overtime. Before you guys go, a quick request and reminder. Once again, subscribe to the podcast. Also, please rate and review it. Help us spread the word by telling your friends. And if you want to get in touch with us, hit us up on the Final Play app. Tiger Huddle app. We love talking football. For now, that's going to do it for us. We'll talk to you next time on Overtime. From Fox 8 Sports. This has been Fox 8 Overtime.